am very excited to talk to you this morning about the book of Colossians. Um, so if you brought your Bible with you today, we're going to look in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians is in the New Testament, second half of the Bible, where Jesus is alive. Uh, he lives his life, uh, then he dies on the cross, is raised from the dead, and then uh, the rest of the, of the New Testament is about his disciples and how the church grows, and it's amazing and encouraging. You should totally read it, okay? So today we're going to talk about Colossians. Colossians is a really small book right after kind of First and Second Corinthians, that area. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God eats peas and carrots. That'll help you to remember where it's at, okay? So you can tell it's going to be a very serious sermon today, okay? So Colossians is where we're at. Chapter 3 is where we're going to concentrate. Uh, Paul is in prison at this time, and he has sent a guy named Epaphras to go and be the pastor at Colossae, okay? So he's writing him this letter and then asks him to read it to the people of the church, the congregation of the church. Because what is happening at this time, um, they have believed in Jesus Christ. They, they're following the way. That's what Christianity was called. The new church was called. They're following it, but now there's some more voices that are coming into the picture, and these voices are starting to confuse people a little bit, okay? Because these voices are saying Jesus alone, not quite adequate. So you got to have Jesus plus something else. So they're bringing up all these rules and all these different things that they're saying, it's fine that you love Jesus, but he's not quite enough. You're going to have to do this and this and this too to really be a follower of the way. So it was confusing people. So Paul from prison um, is saying, not true, not true, not true. Let's focus on what's really important. Okay, so that kind of gives us our setting of where we at, what we're talking about. So as these voices are confusing them and talking kind of into their ear, um, they're telling them it's okay to live a good life. Good enough is good enough. It's all right. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, Jim Collins uh, wrote a book called Good to Great, and he said, good is the enemy of great. So what was happening in the church in Colossae was the enemy of this great life that Jesus Christ was hoping for his followers. Um, so we have to understand that God wants us to be way more than good enough. And he is the one who's changing us and empowering us to live this life that is way better than good enough. All right. Uh, in the first few chapters of Colossians, Paul is actually exalting Christ. Um, so this is how he describes Christ in the first few chapters of Colossians so that the people of the church in Colossae understood that Christ is adequate. Christ alone is enough. So these are the ways he described it. He said that Jesus Christ is the very image of God. He is the creator. He is the pre-existent sustainer of all things. He is the head of the church. He is the first to be resurrected. He's the fullness of deity in bodily form. He is the mystery that has been revealed, and he is the reconciler. All that's just in the first two chapters of Colossians. Great book. You should totally read this book because it's such an encouragement that Jesus is enough. It doesn't ever have to be Jesus plus something else. Jesus is enough. So Paul brings clarity to how to live for Christ. He hoped that the church in Colossae would understand that don't listen to these voices anymore. Jesus is enough. It doesn't have to be Jesus plus anything. And he gives us a new roadmap about that. You ever been to a mall, big mall? A few years ago, we went to the Mall of America in Minneapolis. 
good, night, that's a big mall. And every uh, few stores, there was a directory there. So we'd go and see what's coming next and we're, we'd want to eat lunch and what, try to get a feel for where we were. And when you look at those big maps, there's a dot and it says, you are here. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So when God sent Jesus Christ, he gave us a new map. All right. We knew through the Old Testament about God's justice. We knew that he was pure. We knew that he couldn't be around sin. These were the rules. Jewish people, very, very good at following rules. Okay, so we knew about God's justice. When he sent Jesus Christ, we find out about God's love, his unconditional love for each one of us. So when sin happens, justice, God's justice says, there needs to be payment for that. But because Jesus died on the cross, love says, I'll pay it. Pretty cool, huh? And so the intersection of grace is here, and that's where we are. So on this map of grace, you are here at this intersection of grace, this spot where mercy met you. So if you've made a decision for Christ, you are a sinner saved by grace. If you made a decision for Christ, you are a walking miracle of mercy because none of us deserved it. Not one of us did. Now, how would it change the world if we use this as our map? So all the time, I'm envisioning I am here. I'm at this intersection of justice and grace, love, mercy. I am here. So because I know I'm a sinner saved by grace, because I know I'm a walking miracle of mercy, I see you totally different. Because I see you with God's eyes. Would change everything, wouldn't it? And that's what Paul was trying to help them to understand that it could change everything if they would just see each other how God saw them, and that we could see the potential in each other. And we knew that God would empower us to become these great people, not good enough, these great people that he had envisioned for us. So when you think about yourself, you are here. It's a great place to be, that intersection of grace. So because now we understand that, and now Paul was helping folks to understand that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them, um, he brings a word to them uh, in the book of Colossians to help them understand what their new life would look like. So we're celebrating this idea that we can live in unity because we're all sinners saved by grace, kind of even playing field. All sinners saved by grace, all miracles of mercy. So we can all uh, live into that and be more unified. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter, okay? So you got to stick with me. I'm going to read it in the paraphrase from the message I would encourage you that as you're reading scripture, try and find different translations and different versions. We live in the United States of America, so we have the freedom to do that. And we can look in different versions because I, my understanding level goes up as I read different versions because they use different words. So it helps me to understand a little bit better, okay? Now, in the message, there's a subtitle. Not every version has that, but the message does. And the subtitle says, he is your life. It's a pretty good subtitle, isn't it? In the NIV version of Colossians chapter 3, the subtitle is Rules for Holy Living. So I like that that's kind of a, like we could draw arrows in between those two. So he is your life. Here's the rules for living a holy life because he is your life, which will help you live a holy life. And it just keeps going and going and going. So we're going to start at verse 1. Okay, here we go. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. 
It's one of my favorite things about the message because it just says, here we go, all right? Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Boy, it'd change all of us, wouldn't it? Because didn't we just talk about that? If I can look at you through his eyes instead of my eyes, it changes everything. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that'll get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Listen to this. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. 
Pretty good, huh? So that's Colossians chapter 3. So we're going to talk about it. But first, let's talk about laundry. All right? So you got laundry at your house. Maybe some of you didn't know that, but you do. <laughs> and when you have laundry, like we, I have my own hamper in my room. My, my uh, trying to teach your kids that, that you pick up the dirty clothes and you put it in the hamper. Um, we're still kind of working on that a little bit. Um, but you put it in the hamper. And so when it's time for laundry day, our laundry room's downstairs. So we take it downstairs and we have this super classy way of, of sorting it. We dump it on the ground and then we put it into piles. So believe it or not, this is, a, this is a good way to do laundry. I might be helping some of you. You put some into whites, then you have some colored clothes, okay? No. And then you have, and then you have dressy, like I pick out dress shirts and stuff that I know I'm going to have to hang up quick or even pull out out of the driver so I don't have to pay such close attention. Then you got towels and you got sheets, whatever, you know, you got the whole thing. So you put it in the washing machine, put your detergent in, your downy in, your bleach in, whatever you need, goes into the dryer. Some of the stuff comes out of the dryer quicker than other stuff. Okay, so you're all done. At the end, you're going to fold the clothes. Might be a new concept for some folks. You're going to fold the clothes, right? Or some of them you're even going to hang up, okay? So we got all this done in the laundry room. Then you bring it up to your room or you don't. Human nature is that most of the time we have these things we wear on a regular basis. So it comes back up to the closet and goes back into the rotation. Now, honestly, except maybe for underwear, most of us have enough clothes we wouldn't have to bring it straight up. Most of us have enough clothes we could wear at least maybe the second week we could wear clothes. Now, by the end of the second week, it might be getting a little interesting what you're matching with what and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we have enough clothes we could do it. But because of our human nature... Um, things like, that's my favorite shirt. So, of course, I want to wear that again this week. So, I'm going to bring that back upstairs. Or, um, I don't want to think too hard each day. So, this is my Monday outfit, and this is my Tuesday. I can't wear my Thursday outfit on Monday because then I get all messed up on what outfit's supposed to be, right? Some of us work in areas where we have uniforms, and you have five shirts, so you got to bring them up because you got to wear those five shirts next week to work. Some of us, I hope I'm not the only one, have a little section in our closet that we know fits. And so you bring the clothes back up because you know you're not going to have to wrestle yourself into that particular shirt or pants, right? Okay? So you bring it back up. That's just kind of our natural uh, default. That's what we do naturally. So this scripture is about laundry today. This scripture tells us that we have our old self. We're going to talk about these in just a minute. This is what not to wear. These are our old self, and that he's encouraging us to switch it to our new self, what to wear. The problem is, if we pull out what not to wear, and we move it, we get rid of it, but we don't fill that void with something else, humanly, we're going right back to it. And maybe it's even going to be worse than it was before. That's just how we are. It's just our natural default. So if we're going to pull these things out of our wardrobe, our old self, we've got to have new things to put in their place so that we don't just automatically go back to this, all right? You ever been to a wedding, and during the wedding they do a unity candle? You know, there's the two little candles on the outside and then the chubby candle on the inside. And at the beginning, most of the time, the mothers come up and light the outside candles. 
And then the, the bride and groom take the outside candles and they light the chubby candle together inside. I, I'm sorry if you did this, but I don't like it when they blow out the outside candles. I'm not a fan of that because I adore John. He's such a gift to me. I know God gave him to me as exactly what I needed, but I'm still Cheryl. I didn't just disappear and become a chubby candle with him, right? Okay? So I don't like that when it gets blown out. So the encouraging thing about all of this is God made you. He knows you at a cellular level. He loves you. He loves your personality. He loves your sense of humor. Now, he might want to tweak it a little bit, right? But he's so happy with you. So don't blow out your candle, okay? So we're giving up our old self, some of these human nature kind of things that we're going to learn about in just a second, and we're going to train them for these new things, but we didn't blow out the candle because we're still us. We're just going to become the best version of us, the Holy Spirit version. And God's so happy about that because that's what he designed us for in the first place. Remember, we were made in the image of God, so he wants us to be the very best version of ourselves. Okay, so keep your candle lit and understand that this is just going to become new habits for us, but we're still us, okay? All right, so let's look at these. We got the what not to wear rack. It's this rack over here, what not to wear. It's in the listing in Colossians chapter 3. So the first one listed is sexual immorality. Um, he talked about promiscuity. He talked about relationships outside of marriage. Uh, he wants to make sure that we're living pure lives. Uh, we're living in sexual purity for him, okay? He also talked about impurity. Remember, we talked about over there that God is just, God is pure, God is righteous. So sin can't be a part of that. Impurity can't be a part of that. So he wants us to get rid of both of those, sexual immorality, impurity, and lust, to not be chasing after what's not ours or not have thoughts about what's not ours, to be really careful about all these areas in our life. Now, doesn't this just read like a newspaper, like a magazine, like a movie? Over 2,000 years later, he knew that this would still be a struggle for us, that sexual immorality and impurity and lust would still be a struggle for us. So I'm grateful that God's that creative and that smart that he knew human nature. He knew how we are. He knows how we are. He knew how we would be and that we would be to be encouraged to be done with these, okay? The next one is evil desires. That can um, relate to that area of our lives or something completely different. What is it that in my mind I say, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Do you know that's one of the very definitions of sin? I know God wants me to do this, and I say, don't care, going to do what I want to. Okay, so evil desires is something that he's asking us to be done with, to take off that. This is what not to wear. Greed, that is when I am following after things that aren't mine. I want my stuff, I want your stuff, I want their stuff, I want everybody's stuff. I want their job, I want their husband, whatever, fill in the blank. Um, in several translations I studied, it said idolatry. Because greed is when you put anything above God. And so that is also idolatry. So he wants us to be done with greed. He wants us to be done with anger. Now, I'm a pretty happy person most of the time. And so I don't suffer. I don't feel like with a huge amount of anger. So I was like, sweet, I'm good on this one. But then as I read different translations, it had words like rage, 
Okay, so if you have like road rage or if you just get super angry that quick, that's talking to you. Then it talked about meanness. Then it talked about bad attitude. All of a sudden, I was getting a little mm, head waggy at this scripture. <laughs> then it started talking about irritability. Doggone. If it just would have stuck with anger, but I had to go and read other translations. <laughs> so think about your life. You know, be really honest with yourself. How irritable do you get with other people? How annoying do you find the human race? Right? How, how, does, how do certain people or certain circumstances get under your skin, just frustrate you, kind of ticks you off? Isn't that incredible that the Holy Spirit wants us to take that off? He wants us not to wear this anymore. Boy, this would change our society, wouldn't it? The next one is malice. Okay, just honestly, you had to look this up because I'm not exactly sure what malice is. Okay, so malice is intention to do harm. I want to cause you trouble. I want to be mean or wicked to you. He's saying don't do that to each other. Don't go in with the intention to cause you harm. That I intentionally am trying to be mean to you. I'm trying to mess you up. I'm trying to mess up your life, mess up your job, mess up your relationship. He said put down malice. Don't wear that anymore. Next one is profanity. Profanity is way more than just your language, way more than just cussing. It's what kind of mean talk is coming out of your mouth. It's, it's how you are or how I am not being encouraging to other people. Um, I feel like I have a pretty quick wit, and the Lord has really talked to me because I love to make people laugh, but he's really talked to me about sarcasm because sarcasm comes out for me really quickly, really easily, and he says, who, who is that encouraging? Who is that helping? So make sure we don't just limit profanity to, oops, somebody said God's name in vain. Way bigger than that, okay? Profanity, uh, lies. Now I trace this back a little bit because the original Greek word for lies didn't just mean don't lie to each other. It means don't lie to yourself either. It's a whole different conversation, isn't it? I, for one, just being human, have listened to lies about myself, have had to work through some of that. And maybe you have too. Maybe someone spoke into your life, maybe you spoke into your life, something that was a lie, and God has brought you freedom from that. Uh, that's what I'm hoping today, is that we would be willing to take off lies to each other and to ourselves today, that we would be willing to put that aside. And the last one in this, what not to wear rack, uh, I've listed as divisions because the scripture went into several different examples, Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insiders and outsiders, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free. Christ transcends all barriers and unifies people from all cultures, races, nations. Such distinctions, such divisions are no longer significant because Christ alone matters. This cross completely even the playing field. Did you know if you weren't grown up, if you didn't grow up Jewish, you're a Gentile? Most likely this entire building is full of a bunch of Gentiles. And before Jesus, God wasn't necessarily for us, right? We weren't allowed in. When Jesus died on the cross, when this happened, the new map came out. And all of a sudden, it evened the playing field, and all of us were allowed. 
That's incredible news. That's incredible news for you. It's incredible news for your family. It's incredible news for the people you work with, your neighbors. It will change everything because we're all allowed now. There are no divisions. There's no nationality that's outside of his realm. There's no group of people. There's no color of skin. There's no language spoken. None of that. It's even playing field because of God's miracle of grace. That is some truth we can live into. That's an exciting thing. Now, in the midst of all of this, we all were born as babies, and we all were born with sinful nature. You meet any two- or three-year-old, you do not have to explain to them how to say no or mine, right? It just comes out of us. The problem is many of us never stopped being a baby, and many of us never stopped with the sinful nature, okay? So today, you get to make a choice, I get to make a choice, if I'm willing to decide this, I'm not wearing this anymore, and with that empty space that I know I'll, I'll drift back to this, I'm going to put these new things in, all right? Um, the divine human reconciliation has happened. So I have this vertical relationship with Christ. What does that do to affect my relationship with you and your relationship with me? If it doesn't affect, affect our horizontal relationships at all, we are missing the mark. We're going to settle for good enough when for us to have great lives. So we got to pay attention to that because divine sovereignty, which is the reason I can say I'm Christ-like, I'm a Christian, is divine sovereignty. Human responsibility goes hand in hand with that because now Christ has expectations that I'm going to live like him and I'm going to seek his will and I'm going to say yes to the things that he's asking me to do. I'm going to be obedient. So that human responsibility is really important. So what is my daily experience like if positionally I would tell you I'm God's girl what does my daily experience look like does it match that because if not I'm not a very good commercial not a very good ambassador for God okay so let's look at the what to wear rack we know what not to wear now this is the what to wear rack here we have compassion compassion is deep sympathy and desire to alleviate suffering for another person my goodness that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Someone would have to compassion with us. Kindness, which is a benevolent nature. What is it in myself? Can I pray and ask God to help me be kind to another person? Can he change my mind about somebody else to where I could be benevolent towards them instead of so harsh with them? I think he can. That's encouraging, isn't it? I think he can. Humility. Humility is a modest opinion of my own importance. Whew. That's kind of opposite of what we hear about, isn't it? Don't wear this shirt to Burger King, right? Because it's the opposite of what their whole, do it my way, you're the king, here's your crown, here's your triple burger, whatever, okay? So humility, uh, modest opinion of my own importance, and I'm content with second place. That's where we should all be living, is in second place. Gentleness, I think if the dictionary had pictures when you looked up gentleness, there'd be a picture of Jesus there because gentleness is defined as quiet strength. It's not weakness. It's showing respect and love towards other people in a quiet strength. So gentleness is something that we can switch for. Patience, being even-tempered, being disciplined. Now, heads up, you pray for patience. God will put you in a situation to express patience, all right? 
So be ready for that in all of these, actually. Be ready for that. Forgiveness, he asks us to be quick to forgive others. He also says, forgive as completely as Christ forgave you. In the original Greek, this is just like lies. It doesn't mean just for other people. It means for ourselves, too. So forgiving other people quickly and forgiving ourselves. It also talks about the idea of bearing with one another. Um, That means I hold up and support you. So how wonky is this? Jesus says, this person needs to forgive you, Cheryl. During that time when you've asked for forgiveness because you did something to them, you need to hold up and support them while they're trying to forgive you. Ay, ay, ay. That's a lot, isn't it? And I don't think I can pull that off on my own. I just don't. So the Holy Spirit's going to have to help me do that. That's the great news about all of this. Because if I have to pull off all of this on my own, I will fail. Because that will be in my own natural abilities, and it's not going to work. But because Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and because the Holy Spirit's willing to help me with this, then I can react supernaturally in these situations And the Holy Spirit can help me uh, to be supernaturally patient, supernaturally humble, supernatural in my forgiveness. Love is the next one, and it says, love unifies all these different virtues. It's your your all-purpose garment. So you've got that shirt you like to wear a lot or your coat that you wear over everything. That's what love is. It's our all-purpose garment. We should never be without it, and it unifies all these other virtues. Love, very, very important. Next one is peace, but it's not just regular peace. It's not world peace, okay? It is the peace of Christ. That's different. The peace of Christ will rule in our hearts, and it keeps us in tune and in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. That's what the scripture said. Um, In our denomination, our leadership group is called the church board. So we have a church board here, and honestly, when they sit in a meeting, they don't all agree on everything all the time, but they have the peace of Christ that rules over all of them. And so when they go out, they're going together. It's causing them to be in step with each other. Our pastor, Pastor Brock, is a consensus-building leader. So his whole goal, when he feels like he's got a vision from God, is to build support for this idea, and then the peace of Christ can infiltrate it. And then as we go together, we're all in step with each other. The peace of Christ will change everything. So if you look at your family and you say, boy, we're, I don't think we're in tune with each other. I don't think we're in step with each other. Check on the peace of Christ in your family. And maybe you can be a changing agent for that. That the peace of Christ could now rule. Thankfulness. Um, I love that it talks about thankfulness and it says cultivate and let thankfulness have the run of the house. So how much room do you have for gratitude at your house in your life? You know, all of our lives, um, from from statistics and everything they've studied, every single one of us has 15% bad stuff happening and 85% good stuff. If you narrowed it down, it's it's just true kind of across the board. So if we focus on the 15% bad, there's no room for thankfulness. No room for gratitude in our lives. So if we can shift our focus, remember in Scripture early on it said to look up to Christ. Don't don't walk around with your head down. You're not focused on, focus on Christ. And when we do that, we focus on the good. And when we do that, there's room for thankfulness. There's room for gratitude. 
And the last one is healthy relationships. This idea of healthy relationships goes through several here. Wives, understand and support, be loyal to your husband, submitting in ways that honor the master. It does not say, please lay down and be a doormat. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, understand them, support them, be loyal to them. Because who does it honor? It honors God. It honors the master. But then it says, husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Establish this idea of mutual respect and tranquil relationships. Do not be harsh with them. Boy, just those two verses, if we would decide to live those, could change a lot of homes, couldn't it? Could change a lot of marriages. Then it talks to kids. Children, obey your parents. That word obey right there says to listen under and to look up to. Now, it'll make your life a lot better, but it also says it delights the master. So it makes God happy when we act that way. Parents use restraint and wisdom in discipline. Do not nag as a habit. Lend all responsible encouragement to the growing, developing person. That little person, that child that's in your house, that's going to be a person one day. So let's encourage them to be this um, wonderful, loving, dependent on God person. And then it goes on to talk about slave and servant. Work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I like this. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Eww. Do you feel that? You know, there's sometimes where we go to our jobs and we're like, I'm here, I'm doing my job, whiny, carrying on. And right there, he says, doesn't cover up bad work. You go and you work not only for whatever the company name is, you're working for God. You go there and you do your best work. You work hard. You make sure people understand you're working for the glory of God. I like, too, that Paul's kind of attempting to uh, infiltrate that idea of slavery during that time by saying out loud to the servants and to the masters, treat each other um, in Christianity. So show love to one another, but also pay a fair wage. So he was kind of infiltrating the whole idea of all of that to develop change in his community. Colossians 3.23 in the NIV version says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You know, righteousness is the logical outcome of and is dependent upon living contact with the risen Christ. So if you haven't made a choice for Christ, if you haven't experienced this, you are here, I'm a sinner saved by grace, then righteousness is going to be very difficult for you to attain in your life because it can only come through that constant contact with Jesus Christ. Mother Teresa, she said, I want to hold Jesus' hand so tightly that I'm obligated to go where he leads me. So where is he leading us today? I believe he's leading us to change our wardrobe, to decide we're not going to wear this anymore, we are going to wear this. And the capacity for love that God gives his people is astounding. You know, our society, it's losing its grip on hope. We're in a hope crisis. Um, many of you have experienced that in your own home, where people have just run out of hope. Hope focuses on the future and gives us something to look forward to. So I'm encouraged to know today that I can have hope about the future and I can have hope about becoming a new woman in Christ. Absolutely I can because he can affect this change supernaturally in my life. Remember, we can't pull this out on our own. We're just, if you try in your own power, okay, I'm going to give up all these things. I'm going to start wearing these things. You will find that you will drift back to this. Because this is human. 
This is our human default. This is our natural reaction to things. So we're asking God to give us a supernatural reaction to things. Uh, I love um, that, that God can help us to think in creative ways because in my head is sound bites. So like somebody will say a phrase or say a, a, a sentence or something, and in my head instantly I hear a song or a phrase from a movie. You ever do that? Where somebody will say something in your head, you'll start, mm, mm, hear some music, okay? Um, I do that all the time. And so this particular thing reminds me of this. This is what I hear in my head. I thank God every day time every time I hear that in my head and so I just want to encourage you that each morning every day God's mercies are new that's what scripture tells us so every day when you wake up and you go towards that closet to wear the old stuff he can help shift you supernaturally to the new stuff and then you too can hear I thank God every day that I woke up feeling this way great that you can hear that in your head and that's what you can live out. So let's pray together. Daddy, thanks for the opportunity to be with these friends today. And Lord, we thank you for this incredible scripture. We thank you for this idea that you would help us to see what not to wear and what to wear, that we could trade our old self for our new self. Uh, I love that you don't want to blow out our candle, that you're happy with who we are. You love us. You created us. You just want us to be more and more like you. And so as we choose to wear this new wardrobe, this idea of the compassion and gentleness and kindness and love and uh, thankfulness, Lord, that we would allow our relationship with you to affect our relationships with other people. God, I'm so grateful that each and every time your Holy Spirit was with us, helping us to not just default to what we know naturally, but to react supernaturally in your power, in your love, in your grace. Thank you for the new roadmap, Lord. Thanks for this idea that you are here in this intersection of grace. And if somebody here today, Lord, has not made that decision, they would say, I'm not in that, I'm not in the crosshairs of that. I pray, Lord, that they would know that all they would have to do is ask your forgiveness, that they could believe that what you did on the cross was for them, and that they could choose every day to live for you in obedience to you according to your will. Thank you, God. We love you. We celebrate you today. And we ask, God, that you would help us to go and live these new lives. In Jesus' name, amen.